as we look into Ecclesiastes today, I, I do want to say I love, I've loved this Bible study thus far, being able to see the Scriptures from this perspective and this view of, of overarching storyline, overarching understanding. Uh, this book has been one that has been very intimidating for me to, to go into, specifically Ecclesiastes, because uh, let me tell you a little story. When I was in college, I had an English uh, professor. He was a literary uh, guy. I don't know. Uh, but he, he made the same. He was an atheist. He, he did not, not only did he not believe in God, he believed anybody who did believe in God was uh, foolish and had very little intellect. Um, and he then proceeded, he told us that day one, I'll never forget sitting in his class and him telling me, him, him saying this and me being like the little, you know, fireball preacher's kid that like loved Jesus a lot and has seen Jesus, knows Jesus, um, Jesus knows me. I'm sitting there in the class thinking, this guy's getting saved before the semester's over. <laughs> and I ended up with an F in the class and he did not get saved. So that's what, that's what happened. I had to retake another English class the next semester. True story. But as we were work, working through the semester, we got to, he said, uh, somebody had asked him the question. It said, well, you're a literary professor. What's the greatest literary work of art in history? What's, if you could tell people this is the book that is the greatest written word ever written, he said, simple, the book of Ecclesiastes. Like, that's what he, this guy was like, atheist, hardcore. And I thought, okay. I remember, I remember that point in the semester, I'm like, oh, he's getting saved. <laughs> like, here we go, right? Uh, I was very wrong. But I, I, did, I did realize he, what he was talking about is just the literary genius behind this book. Um, also, now he took it from, the, from a, an atheist perspective, right? Because what we see in the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, who is the writer of this book. We talked last week about Solomon has written three books in the, in the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, which is next week, which I'm really not looking forward to going through with you guys because uh, it's, it's a little bit intense. Hopefully going to keep it G-rated. Um, but Solomon wrote these three, and these three books you can almost, we talked about last week, you can almost see like the phases of life he was in, right? He wrote Song of Solomon as a young man in love. He wrote Proverbs as a middle-aged man having to exercise wisdom every day. And then Ecclesiastes, we come to this one, and it's, it's almost like this is an old man looking back at his life with a lot of regrets, is what it, what it seems like. And so as I was reading it and trying to see, because this guy, again, in college, I was, I was 18 years old. It was my first semester in college. I thought I was going to take over the world, and now I've got this big uh, combative spirit against me and my faith, right? Just like one of the first classes I had taken. And him saying that this was the greatest work of literary work in the world uh, was, was very odd and a little bit intimidating to me because I thought, man, this guy who's an atheist says this is the greatest work ever written. How well do I know it? I mean, re really, if this is the greatest work ever written and an un unbeliever is saying that, how much does a believer say that? Because I don't know that I would have said the book of Ecclesiastes was my favorite in the Bible. Um, but there was a, so there's always been this like, sense of, I don't really understand what this book's about, because if an atheist would say this, why would a believer say the same thing about the book, right? So I kind of was always wrestling with this, and as I was looking at this and looking through this, the, the reason it, it makes a little bit of sense is um, if, you, if you think about this as a work of art that Solomon wrote as a man of regrets, everything about this book, what we will see today is this is Solomon with a lot of questions, a lot of things that he struggles with, because he's looking from a worldly perspective. And that's when it struck with me. That atheist was looking at this from a worldly perspective. He was, and so he was like, this book makes the most sense of any book I've ever read. Because in the book, Solomon's like, listen, it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, people die. It doesn't matter how much you gain. Good people die earlier than bad people. I don't get it. Like this just, this is unfair, this is meaningless, this is all vanity, this is all emptiness, this is all whatever. And so I, I began to, as I read this book, see, uh, and so then I thought, well, I thought Solomon was this wise man that had all of this, you know, glory and riches and what, what is he doing? And then I, I start to realize in the, in the point of Solomon's life as he wrote this, we have to remember Solomon began his, his kingdom, his kingship, right after his father David, Right? David, biggest shoes to fill so far. You know what I'm saying? You had King Saul, who was not a great leader of God. 
You had King David, who was, I mean, a man after God's own heart, who wrote half the book of Psalms, if not more, or more than half the book of Psalms. And he, and, and so David, and you got to think, I mean, following those footsteps, I mean, goodness, right? This guy wrote, his, his mind was able to produce more than half of the hymn book of the Hebrews. Like, that's a, that's a guy whose power was all over the place, who slayed the mighty Goliath. You know that was still a story. You know that was still something that Solomon heard as a kid in school, being like, oh, our great king who slayed the giant that freed our people from this hostile uh, nation. Like, Solomon had to follow that. So when Solomon began his kingdom, his reign as king, he was, he was consecrating himself to God. He was close with God. He had this connection to God. And that connection with God, I heard a great, I read a great um, uh, commentary piece on this, and I can't remember where exactly I read it when I was studying this, but he said it's kind of like a spider that's making a web in a barn. And he said, you know, whenever a spider is tying a web in a barn, he ties it to this high piece up top, and then he drops down where the insects are, so by a window, so he drops this thing down by a window, and then he builds the little, the little web right there. Well, and then it says, and it gets all this, all these insects come into the web, and he, he feasts on all these insects. So the spider's getting, getting fuller and fuller and fuller, and so he's building his web out bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's getting more and more and more. And then one day, he, he, he's, all he sees is the web around him, and he's walking on the, on the web, and he sees this one strand that it goes up really high, and he can't see where it goes anymore. And he, he just, he says, well, that, one, that one's just astray, and he cuts it. And because that's the one that was harnessed to the top of the barn, the web collapses. And it's kind of like Solomon's reign. He began it connecting to the God of glory because he had big shoes to fill. I, I, I think personally, now Solomon was a man who searched after great wisdom. We'll see in just a minute. But I think there's a point where we forget who we've really connected to and we start to see our own world and our own wealth and our own uh, riches and we don't even realize where we were connected to. Don't even realize it. So I, when I read that this past week, I thought, man, that's a really good, I, I'm probably going to preach that Sunday. That's, that's a, I'm going to use that in like eight different places. Because so many times in our life, what do we get focused on? Our circumstances. What's right in front of us. And, we, we get to, and we're, we're walking around our world, and we see something that we're like, I don't even know where that attaches to anymore. I'll just get rid of it. And the next thing you know, our whole world comes crashing down because we know we're no longer connected to the source that gave us all of the wisdom, all of the strength, all of the, all of the everything. He, every good and perfect gift comes from heaven. That's what it comes from. And so Solomon is at this point in his life, he's looking back and he's already clipped that cord. He's already clipped that, that, that anchor of his web. And now it's all fallen down. So he writes this book. And as I, as I read it and as I, I think about it, this is, uh, Solomon is looking here at the end of his life, and he's, he's not um, a happy man. He's not excited about life anymore. He experienced all that life had to offer, and he just felt empty. He just felt empty. So he pins these words, um, and as we, as we think about it, uh, his life, you know, and, and, and I, I use the illustration of the web, but let's not, let's not like just make it some mystical thought. Solomon had connected to God after his, after his dad had passed away. Solomon is now reigning. He connected to God, started building the web, and, and then he started, he started doing some dumb things, right? He started marrying foreign wives because he was trying to build his kingdom, right? That's what he was doing. He would attach his web to things that weren't sustainable. He married all these wives, and then by the time his life was over, he was, I wrote down a few different gods he was serving. Uh, he followed each of his wives, So by, and by the way, he Towards the end of his life, he had overtaxed all of his people, overtaxed them all. Because we, we talked about, again, in the book of Kings, whenever the, the kingdom split under, right after Solomon. Why? Because of taxes. They argued over taxes. Why? Because Solomon had overtaxed his people. Because Solomon was trying to build his web. Not, he wasn't trusting the Lord for his taxes. <laughs> he was trusting his people. So Solomon had done all these things. So he overtaxed his people. He had... Uh, married these foreign wives. He had he had gone around and um, one of uh, uh, he had uh, multiplied all of the different um, uh, uh, the slavery in in the community. So he had added slaves into his kingdom, and so there was more oppression. So there was a more separation between the rich and the poor. So under Solomon's leadership, all of this stuff had kind of happened. Then he followed all of these wives 
to their foreign gods. And he ended up serving. Uh, he worshipped the god of the, the uh, Zidonians. He also worshipped the gods of uh, Milcom and Moloch, and Moloch. He had served these gods. This is where Solomon was toward the end of his life. And I'll tell you this much. If you're serving Moloch and you're serving Milcom and you're serving the gods of the Zodians, you, you're not... You're not happy, you're not peaceful, you have no inner peace, you have no rest. None at all. Because why? God is the God of rest. So as we see where Solomon is in this, he's, he's reigned now, it looked less and less godly as he grew. Yes, he had wisdom, he had wealth, he had women, but ultimately he had false worship. That's what he had. That's what produced this book. Now, uh, the very first words in Ecclesiastes say, The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Uh, this is a, uh, I, I look at this as a sermon. I look at this as a sermon. And this is the preacher preaching his sermon. So in our, in our overview today, in our survey today, I want to look at this the way that I would write a sermon. The way that a lot of um, Bible schools and, and colleges will teach. There's, there's, there's literally classes on sermon sermon outline, sermon structure, sermon preparation. And this is, this is a great sermon preparation right here. This is a great sermon outline. So uh, we're going to look at this as a sermon outline today. Uh, we're going to look at, he's got, he's got a clear introduction. Okay, he's got an introduction. That's the first part. Then he's got point one. I've, I've titled point one, what we look for, because that's what he talks about, what we, what we look for. Um, and then uh, it should probably be what we seek, actually. Now that I see that, what we seek. Um, the second point, I'm actually going to change that in my notes because I just saw that. That's uh, what we seek, and that's what we're going to say. Um, so there's a, what we seek, then point two, what we find, and then point three, what we learn, and then point four, which is not a point, but it's, it's what's called the landing in a sermon. So um, I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, uh, come on, preacher, let's land the plane. You know, is he, you're just talking in circles now. Let's get the thing done. Let's, let's, you know, yeah. people, there was a guy in my church one time. He said, we had a long-winded preacher at the time. Um, not here, not here. Okay. Uh, you all did have a long-winded preacher, but it wasn't here that this happened. We had a, a guy that was on our safety team that was, that was standing in the back. And he had, uh, he had those little orange lights that they used in the parking lot. And he would literally stand in the back doors. And our, and our pastor and him had a pretty good joke. But he'd stand at the back doors at 12 o'clock. As soon as it clicked 12 o'clock, he'd stand at the back doors and turn those lights on just like this. <laughs> and he would just stand there. And he was saying, land the plane, preacher. Right? It's time to go home. It's, it's this, this way. Right? You ever been on an airport and this is what they're doing? He's like, land the plane. Um, so we see the last part of his landing is the summary. Um, so, so let's just jump in here. The introduction, uh, I believe, is in, if we find it in chapter 1. Uh, he, this is another place where uh, there's a marketing term uh, in our culture today that says don't bury the lead, right? Whatever, you, whatever your lead point is, you want to lead with that because you want people to be engaged and invited because if, if somebody just hears one thing, you want them to hear it quick and know what you're talking about. So he starts out with an introduction, and here's what he says. Here's what we're going to talk about today. So if I got up this you know, Sunday morning, and I preached the sermon of Ecclesiastes, I would probably get up and say, okay, church, I'm very excited, because here's where we're going today. We're going to talk about death. Like, that's what he starts talking about. He says, um, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of all vanities. What is man that um, he toils all which he toils under the sun? A generation does, goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. You know what he's saying? Everybody dies. That's why he's starting his sermon out that way. I'm not sure that uh, Solomon understands the church growth mindset, but that's not going to draw a lot of people to his sermons, right? If somebody comes in and my first, in the first 30 seconds of breath, I say, listen, people come, people go. We all die. So let's jump into what I want to talk about today. <laughs> that's, uh, okay, that's, that's, we're, we're already seeing kind of the spectrum here. So his introduction... He jumps right in and starts talking about death and how everybody dies. Uh, we learn quickly he does not have the answer to any of his questions. There, he's got a lot of questions. Uh, but the reason is because he's a worldly man asking questions from a divine perspective. He's asking questions that relate to God without the answer of God in his life. So there's a lot of people in the world that will say, you know, you hear the, the phrase, how can, if God is good... Why is there so much suffering? Well, you're asking a worldly question without an answer 
Uh, you're, you're already dismissing the fact that he's got a divine nature in him, that God is perfect, he's pure, you're not, we're not, his ways are higher. You're asking a question on you about your ways, and you're saying, my ways don't make sense. I'm like, well, yeah, duh, you don't have, you're not his ways. Well, that just doesn't make sense, because your ways are too low, right? That's, that's what Solomon, he's, he's, as we read this, we'll find out, he's asking a lot of questions about his ways. Here's what I'm seeing, here's what I find, here's what I see, here's where I go, here's what we learn, here's what I know. And it's like, but then there's God over here. Like God has, has, he knows more than me. He sees more than me. He's, he's, he's looking for more than I'm looking for. This is where uh, this book is, starts to become kind of expansive and beautiful. He uses the term vanity a lot. That term vanity, if you break it down, you know, vanity is not a word that we use much uh, in our culture anymore. As a youth pastor for a long time, I would try to find the words in Scripture that were unfamiliar to, to teenagers because my, my teenagers right now use terms I don't understand, okay? Now, I would never tell them to their face. I pretend like I know what they're talking about. But they're like, Dad, that's bussing. I'm like, where are you going, right? Are you, you're bussing kids somewhere? Is that where you're going? Like, no, that's not what that means. That'd be cool, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's totally bussing. I don't, I have no idea what that means. You know, I don't know. I, I may be cussing at that point. I'm not sure what's happening, but I, what I try to do is make sure we can understand what we're doing. So this word vanity, not a word we use in our culture much. Now we, we all, we all understand what the word means, but whenever you, you break it down, it means literally trying to grab after breath, trying to grab after, it means it's meaningless. Like you can't, you can't grab the wind. If the wind is blowing and you reach your hand out to try to grab it, did you get it? Who knows? You got something. <laughs> Did you get all the wind? No. Did you get any of the wind? Maybe. I'm not even sure I can answer that question. That's what Solomon is saying. He says, listen, it's, there are so much things that's just chasing after the wind, trying to grab a breath right out of the air. You ever, you ever say something and you want to just grab those words back? You know what I'm saying? You can't do it. You can't grab them. You can't stop them from happening. So you can't do that. Um, is, and I also wonder, now this is a little bit of speculation. So be, be free with me for just a minute. Every sermon has to have a text, right? You're learning Bible school. You're learning from every great teacher. Every Bible, every, every sermon has a textual point to it. So if you, go to a, if you ever go and hear a preacher and he doesn't reference any scripture at all, it's not a sermon. It's philosophy that he thinks. That's what it is. So it's got to have a text. So if this is a sermon, I wonder what his text was. Now, this is, again, you got to kind of roll with me a little bit here. Uh, doing some, some research, some study, some thought. I wonder if he had picked up one of his dad's uh, uh, worship songs. I wonder if he picked up one of his dad's poems about God and about life. Because if you look back in Psalm, let's, let's say Psalm 39. Say, say Psalm 39. Here's Psalm 39. There's a couple verses I want to read to you. Because I, I begin to think, how do you, how do you build a sermon without any, any truth to it. You can't do that, right? You just can't. So I, I look at Psalm 39. I, I look, read verse, verse 5. That's what I read, Psalm 39, 5. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, Selah. If you read down in verse number 11, in verse, chapter 39 of, of Psalms, it says, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you, co you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is but a mere breath. Selah. You know, I'm not saying that Solomon was uh, reading through the hymn book of the Hebrews and maybe his dad's journals, you know, when he sees them and scratches them out and reads those and says, we are like a breath. Like there is just nothing, nothing to us. If, if, you, if you really look around, Solomon's like, I've seen so much. And this, this is true. The truth is we are like a, we are like a vapor. We are like a vapor. Um, as, we, as we look through this today, know that the, the Holy Spirit of God inspired Solomon to write these words. And then God inspired the, the, these words to be in this book. And this book was given to us to understand more about God and more about how we are to connect with him and how we, what his nature is. And so as we, as we look at this, we see his introduction. Um, and, and the reason I think that there's some text to this that he had used 
is because we all have something we refer to, right? We all have something we refer back to. And in, in this book, he's referring to this, this vanity, this life, this whatever. And he uses a phrase 27 times in this book, it's referred to. And that phrase is under the sun, under the sun, which is proof. Now, there's something really, really cool that will happen at the end of this book. Because what happens is under the sun means in our lifetime. And he's talking about time, space, and where we are. That's what, that's what Solomon is talking about. When he says the term under the sun, he's saying, this is as under the sun is all I know. That's what he said. All I know is right here around me and in front of me, underneath the sun. What we will find is he builds this book, and, and we will find what happens ultimately uh, whenever we are under the sun. Um, his, uh, his, his, I will say this, his, the introduction in this, in, in first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes, um, chapter 1, gives us a huge punch that ultimately says, if you read those 11 verses and you just summarize those 11 verses, here's what the summary is. Life that is lived with the view of things in this time, in this space, under the sun, have life, have little purpose or point to it. If you are living life with this dimension in life, it just, is this, with this dimension in view, there's just not much point to it. Everything's vanity. Everything's meaningless. You can get a lot of money. Who cares? You can have all kinds of power. Doesn't matter. You die. You can have all these friends, all these, all these wives, all these this, all these that. And you know what? Everybody dies. Like everybody dies. Again, not the most encouraging message. But what you'll find is in this introduction, he's, he's, he's laying down the groundwork for the, the listeners of his sermon to realize everything is... Everything evens out in the end. We all die. Nobody escapes death no matter how you live, no matter what you do, no matter what you get. Nobody escapes it. Here's where we are. So if, you, if everything you do is in view of what this life offers you, it is pointless. So if you are doing things in the view and perspective of this world, you're living a pointless life. That's what he's saying. Now, that's a great sermon intro because then you're thinking, prove it. Prove it. He does. Point one. Chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 26. Um, he tells us what he seeks. Now, this is a really powerful, powerful uh, section because it's kind of concise, and he, he brings it together very quickly. But Solomon is talking about what he has looked for and longed for and searched out his whole life. And he talks about three specific things. You know, in a, in a good sermon class, they'll tell you every point needs three subpoints. And every three subpoints needs a, a tagline in them or some kind of line that's like a, a hook, right? Solomon's, he's, it's like he's writing the sermon that we're all trying to preach now. So he says this, he says, uh, he first tells us he's searching for wisdom. If you look in the first part of that, he says, um, I, have, I have searched for wisdom, I have looked for wisdom, I have tried to find wisdom. Basically, he's saying, I, I was trying to intellectually grow and seeking out how to become the most intelligent man in the world. And he succeeded. He succeeded in it. The Bible tells us he was the wisest man in the whole region. People were coming to him. You remember the Queen of Sheba showing up and just sitting under his teaching because he was so wise. He says, I was searching to become the most wise person in the world. And so then he talks about in this passage, he says, I've also searched for great pleasures. I have searched for the greatest pleasures of all, all the entertainment the world had to offer whether it's sensual or just thrilling. And where did it lead me? It led me to insanity. That's what he says. And, that, and, and you see it in chapter 2, just the beginning part. He says, I said in my heart, come, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was all vanity. I, I tried, listen, I tried to find satisfaction, joy, in peace, in all, the, all that the world could offer, every entertainment you could get all the entertainment. I would have people come and dance in front of me. Like, can you imagine having so many resources and you're so bored that you're like, I want somebody to come and dance for me. So you just pay people to come and just dance in front of you while you're sitting there. Like, that's, that's crazy, right? We're all like, oh, that's weird. Now, it, Solomon was so in, in searching for the, the pleasures to fill him that he says, listen, wisdom didn't fill me up. It didn't. Wisdom was, was great to have for a while, but then I realized that I was put in situations where I had to figure out what was wise and what wasn't. It was exhausting. It was, it was struggling. It was a hard thing for me. And then he says, I was searched out for pleasures. 
And I couldn't, it didn't, it just led me to be insane. It led me to always crave more. The pleasures always left me wanting. Always. I never had enough. Then he says, uh, he talks about material things. If you read over uh, in uh, the rest of chapter 2, down to verse um, 17, what you'll see is he, uh, he talks about, he searched for material things. He said, he became great, surpassed all who were before him. In verse, chapter number, verse number 9, all my wisdom were, uh, remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart was found in pleasure and toil. I, I, my reward, I got all this reward. He became such a great businessman. I, I was looking through uh, what Solomon had done. He, he was a, a mercantile prince. He, he, he grew businesses. He grew business, and that, those businesses just created wealth upon wealth upon wealth. You've heard of the phrase um, residual income, or you've heard of the phrase passive income. That's income that's making income for you, right? That was Solomon, great businessman. Of course he was a great businessman. He was wise, right? He had all this wisdom that he had gained, and he was like, that, that didn't fill me up. So I, I want to I look at the pleasures of everything. That didn't fill me up. Now he's like, well, I guess I'll look at material things. I'll get everything in the world. I'll just have it all. So he creates these businesses, becomes this incredible tradesman, incredible, like makes so much money. His money is making money and he is, he's just living in this plush life. And what does he say in, in everything? He had that, um, what do they call the Midas touch or whatever? Everything he touched turned to gold. If Solomon's name was on it, it was selling in the, in the streets, right? I mean, he's like, hey, there's probably King Solomon bobblehead dolls. If he was here today, there'd be King Solomon, and everybody would be buying them. Every one of us would have them because he just had this ability and had this, this incredible uh, life that was bringing more and more and more to him. And he says in verse number 17 of chapter 2, So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. He says, listen, I, I had all the wisdom. Nobody was wiser than me. Nobody had more pleasures than I had. Nobody had more things than I had. And let's, not, let's also mention, nobody had the lineage of King David other than him. Like, he was the guy, right? There was other kids, there was other people, but he was the one. And his, and, and his mom was the one, that, you know, I mean, that's... You hear the story of David and Goliath. You also hear the story of dad and mom, right? Mama's, mama's out on the, on the rooftop. Like, that's, that was Solomon's mom, you realize, right? So, like, he had, but nobody's going to mess with Solomon. Nobody's going to be like, hey, what's your mom doing? You know, that's, you know, those all your mama jokes probably didn't happen with Solomon because Solomon's dad would have been like, okay, this guy's dead. This guy's dead. This guy's dead. So David was a, was a killer, man. And we see these, these incredible, this pedigree of Solomon's life. There's nobody like Solomon in the world. And he says, I hated life. There's a hint of suicide right there. There's a hint of him saying, I hated this. I, I, didn't, I wasn't filled with anything because, his, his key phrase, what is done under the sun is grievous to me. In this first point, he's saying, I was searching for all these things. And you know what he was saying? There was still a void in my life. He's going to build on that point in just a second. The second point he finds, we find in chapters 3 through chapter 6. Um, and it says, so he's talking about what he was seeking after, right? He was seeking after wisdom. He was seeking after pleasures. He was seeking after material things. And now point two, what he found. Uh, what he finds in chapter 3 is when, where we see uh, there's a time for everything, right? It's time to live, time to die. Time to grow, time to decay. Time to do this, time to do that. We see beautiful uh, text. I, I love, I've used this so many times in, in the last two years in my life. Um, specifically, uh, whenever it says in verse, verse number four of chapter three, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Uh, if, I, if I can just be totally transparent with you all, my youngest daughter's a dancer. She's a ballet ballerina and does like the dance stuff, right? And so she's in all these classes, does all these recitals, and she's a really good dancer. Um, well, two years ago, whenever we had a massive tragedy in our family, um, she, she asked to quit dancing. She said, I don't want to dance anymore. Okay. Why? Well, because of this. Okay. Um, I said, well, does that, does that keep you from, from dancing? I'm, I'm too sad to dance. Okay. And so we sat down one night and I said, well, do you know that the Bible says there's a time to mourn 
So right now, let's mourn together. I said, do you know what that means? And she said no. She was like 11 at the time. She said no. And I said, well, mourning is a time where you can be broken and really sad and, and let that out. Let people see it. Let us know that you're sad. So we sat in our room and cried for probably an hour that night. And so we kind of, then, then, then crying, here's what mourning does. Mourning does something very weird because you begin to cry and you begin to get this really brokenness and something happens in your brain and then you start to think of something funny that you remember, something, something cute that you remember, something silly that you remember. And that, that cry kind of turned, and, and especially, I, I've seen it in my kids so much, I, I never really saw it in myself, right? Because myself, I'm like, I'm just miserable all the time. And it's like, no, actually, you had a smile at this point. You had a smile here. And I'll, I'll never forget, whenever we were in that moment, she, she went from this, like, very, very sad brokenness, crying tears, you know, kind of cried all the tears out, and then into this something funny that she remembered. And she kind of laughed a little bit. And that laugh was so, it was the most beautiful laugh because it was so ugly. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've seen the laugh right after the cry, right? It's like this, <laughs> you know, you're like, is that a laugh or a cry? I don't know. And it's like a little bit of both. And I, we, I shared this verse because I said there's a time to mourn. And we just talked about that. And then whenever she started, an hour later, we picked back up where the, where the scripture left off. And I said, and there's a time to dance. So I said, listen, I'm not telling you you have to dance tomorrow, but I am telling you, you like to dance. So let's not just mourn forever because there's a time for it, meaning it can stop. Now, that doesn't mean the sadness or the loss or the brokenness or whatever is, is gone, right? But there is a time that you can laugh again. And there's a season for that. And when you laugh, don't feel guilty that you're laughing. Because what would happen is, she would then, the first time she went back to dance, what she did was she felt really bad that she was having a good time. Why? Because something really bad had happened. So she was, there was this like turmoil. I said, no, 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 sweetie. I said, you understand, there's a time to mourn, be broken, cry. But there's a time where that mourning doesn't have to keep going and you can actually dance and enjoy this moment. You can do that. The Bible says that. So now she's, and, and yesterday, I say all this because yesterday we went to a new open house here in Lenore City. She's going to start this dance thing here. So uh, excited to see that like it, the Bible is very clear. There's a time for these things. And, and Solomon's like, listen, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know how you can lose this incredible person in your life and then dance later. That shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the case. But it is because in, in, his, in his understanding of the world, he says, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Because this should have wrecked everything. Our world should have been completely destroyed. I shouldn't be standing anymore. Yet, I can dance? What? I want to say, mourning talks about a breaking down on your knees. Is what mourning, this, this word, as we get the, the concept, mourning, broken on your knees, like unable to get up. And then the very, the very next phrase is, and a time to not only get up, not only stand up, but to actually move around and to dance. Like, that's the two totally opposite things. Solomon says, there's a time for both. There is a time. So don't feel guilty whenever you are dancing, and don't feel guilty when you are mourning, and don't feel guilty whenever you are doing these pieces and these things. He's saying, here's what I find. I find that our souls, in, in chapter 3 especially, uh, what we've seen already a hint of when he says, um, you know, I've searched for this, I've searched for this, I've searched for this, but I hated my life because my life wasn't filled. He says, because everything under the sun, right? Chapter two, everything under the sun is, is, is useless and pointless. And then chapter three and six, three through six, he starts to shift the, 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 the call. He says, what I, what I sought out was this and found that I was empty. What I am learned, what I've, what I've found, what I actually got a hold of is this wisdom, this truth. There's a time for this, a time for this, time for this, time for this. There's, there's moments of this, moments of that. And what he was saying was in this, in this text, our souls are striving for something not under the sun. I want you to think about that for just a minute. He says, I've got something built in me that is striving for something not under the sun. Not in this world, because this world, so far, what I'm finding is this world is not making sense. This world doesn't, I, I can't figure it out. 
I'm trying. What I'm finding doesn't even, I, I can't even compute it all. And he even goes in, I, I, I pulled up a couple of things in, in chapter 3, verse number 10. Uh, he says, I have seen, right? That's the first word, I have seen the business of God. Verse 14 says, I have perceived that whatever God endures, uh, does, endures forever. That's the first, first uh, pieces that we start to believe and see, okay, we, there's a time for us to die, but whatever God does lasts forever. What? That's different. <laughs> That's different than us. That's not under the sun. Now we've gone above the sun. He's given us glimpses. Here's a great preacher, uh, preacher technique. You, you give the, the problem, and then you start to give glimpses of the answer, and then we'll see in just a few minutes when there's a summary, oh man, we found it. Like here we are, as this book will build. He talks about more of what he sees. Verse 16 of chapter 3. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun the place for justice. In the place of justice, there was even wickedness. In verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Again, I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun. Behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. And on, their, on the side of the oppressors, there was power. What he's saying is, listen, I saw, I was looking at this, those that were oppressed were, were weak and broken and powerless, but the oppressors, in this same thing, the oppressors had all this power. The oppressors did. How did this happen? This doesn't make any sense. He's like, I, I, this is what I'm seeing. He tells us over and over and over again in, this, in these texts what he sees. Chapter, verse number four, Then I saw that toil and skill from the man's work envy, was envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. He's saying, this guy saw what this guy had and said, I'm going to work harder so I have more than him. He's like, y'all, do you realize... You're, both of you are going to die. Both of you. And you're like challenging each other, trying to be better than each other, trying to go and, and get more than the other. You're both going to die. Like I can almost see Solomon walking through the streets, seeing some guy going to work an extra hour that night to get a little bit more so that he could outwork this guy so that he could have a bigger house than him. And Solomon being like, both you guys are going to die, just so you're aware, both of you. I'll be at both your funerals. All right walking on. It's like, that's what he says. He's like, this is what I'm finding. I'm finding that these two guys went their whole life building up faster and bigger and bigger and bigger, and they both had a funeral. And they were both in a box. And that was it. Solomon's like, this, just, this is what I'm seeing again and again. Even verse 7, again, I saw vanity under the sun. It's, it's over and over and over again. We see what this wise man saw in all this. He says, this is, the point is, is being driven home that everything that happens under the sun is, is meaningless. Everything that happens under the sun. If this is your view and your perspective, everything that happens here is meaningless. Everything, as I looked around, here's what he talks about. We are made for something not under the sun. And therefore, if our purpose is everything under the sun, then we are not living out the eternity that we're called for. That's what Solomon is trying to say. He says, you're going to be left empty in this world because you are trying to live under the sun. So in this section, this chapters 3 through 7, or 3 through 6, we see uh, what he finds. Then, beginning in chapter 7, from 7 to 10, uh, we see what he learns. So he starts out by saying, here's what I was seeking. I was seeking wisdom. I was seeking pleasures. I was seeking uh, entertainment. I was seeking material blessings. I was seeking money. And I, I was empty in all those. And here, in, my, in all my seekings, here's what I found. You got wisdom, okay, you got more problems. You get, uh, um, you get material blessings, then you realize all those material blessings are causing me to envy somebody else's material blessings. All this, that I, here's what I found. I, I found that every time, wisdom says this, there's a time to dance and a time to mourn. What does that even mean? I don't even know under the sun. What does it mean here? Why is this going on? I just don't understand. And he says, when I was searching for the worldly pleasures, what I found is that they lead to death. They lead to destruction. They lead to emptiness, more and more emptiness. Here's what I found, because here's what I saw when I was searching for it. I searched for this. Here's what I found. Now, in the third point of his sermon, he says, here's what I've learned because of it. So I wanted this. I found this. Now here's the lesson. Here's what I learned. And he talks about wisdom is ultimately from God. The first 14 verses of chapter 7, beautiful, 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 beautiful. He says, all wisdom comes from God. Here's what he's saying. If your perspective is all under the sun, 
That means in our time, in our space, in our life. If all your wisdom comes from underneath the sun, you're not wise. You're just not. You can be the smartest business guy in the world. You can be the most intellectual person in the world. If it didn't come from above the sun, it, do, it won't last. It won't last. You're like, well, that's not true. What if a business lasts for, forever? A business doesn't last forever. Well, there's, I'm telling you, there's a lot of business. That, no, there's not. There's just not. Kingdoms don't last forever under the sun. Nothing does. Nothing does. You can read the book of Ecclesiastes. We can go back to the history books, and you can be like, well, America's going to last forever. No, it won't. It won't. There's a day coming where it won't be here. Now, I hope that day is, is, is the day that Jesus comes back, ultimate rule. That's the day I hope that America is finally no longer a nation. I don't want it to be in my lifetime, right? I don't want it to be taken over by somebody else. But what I know is, ultimately, everything in this world under the sun comes to an end. Everything under the sun comes to an end. Solomon is saying, listen, everything comes under the sun is ultimately not of God, and it's not going to last. This perspective of under the sun... In, in this life just doesn't measure up. He talks about um, in verse, this is where uh, chapter 7, verse 15, this is where it's, uh, he says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. You know what he's saying? This nice guy over here died early, and this wicked guy over here just keeps making money. This ain't fair. This isn't right. What I've learned is this stuff under the sun just doesn't make any sense. Like this, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to this. It's not you do more good and you get more good. This is like, if, if anybody has this like prosperity gospel, it's like, listen, as long as you're close with the Lord, he'll bless you. Go read Ecclesiastes. No, that's not how it works. It's just not how it works. I know a lot of good, good, solid men who are poor or hurting or sick. It's, you, you're not immune to it. Solomon says, listen, and, and that's where Solomon is saying, because the wisdom is, it's of God, not of man. So it, even if you are sick and broken, and like go to the book of Job, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He says, listen, Job didn't do anything wrong in this. Now, he, he, he listened to the wrong people at some point, but whenever he, it was, it was not his, his uh, character that got everything taken away from him. It was God. Why? We still don't fully know. I want you to think about that. I, I can't tell you that I know exactly why God let Satan do it. I can give you my interpretation of Scripture from it, from it but ultimately God's, like, his, God's ways is still higher than my ways. I still can't understand them. They're still higher than mine. Solomon is saying all this wisdom, all this perspective, it, it just doesn't make any sense. He talks about how wisdom was evasive to him. There was moments where wisdom just wasn't there. He wanted it so bad, and it wasn't there. So it wasn't even his desire to have it that made it there. It was because God granted it to him at times and then didn't grant it to him at times. God, it's God's. It's all, it all belongs to him. He talks in verse number 26. I love verse 26. Um, he says uh, of chapter 7, And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. <laughs> He's like, listen, let me tell you about worldly pleasures for a minute. Let me just tell you about the women that directed me the wrong way. He, he was worshiping false gods at this point in his life. Why? Because women had ensnared him. That's what it was. They had just trapped him. Why did they trap him? He was seduced by them. He, how is a man who has everything seduced by something? Because he's seduced by something he didn't have. That's, that's what... And if you don't have it, it, does, it has you. I mean, that's, that's just the way that works, right? If I don't have this uh, pleasure, this pleasure has a hold of me. And I can't, I can't get out of it. Then once he would get that pleasure, guess what? There was another pleasure out there he didn't have. So, what, so Solomon had all kinds of, of women in his life. He says, listen, I found, I found something worse than death. You, you, I'm looking forward to death. Those women out there are way worse than death. They, they, are, they, are, they have led me astray and wrong. And, you know, he's saying, listen, if I could have just died, like, and I'd not had all these women in my life, I would have been better off. Like, this is hard. This is difficult. This is tough. Um, a lot of notes in chapter 7 and chapter 8 about death um, and about how death comes to us all, whether we're, we are, we're, whether we're good, bad, ugly, handsome, rich, poor, doesn't matter. All of us will die. All of us. There, there's a point, now there's a point you know in your life and in my life where we thought, I ain't going to die. 
we were probably 19 years old. I feel like 19-year-olds are the dumbest, okay? Because they get freedom for the first time, they get out there, and they do dumb stuff. That's just what they do, because they're dumb. All of us were at 19. All of us, okay? Don't, don't be sitting here like, I wasn't dumb. I wasn't. Yes, you were. It was just, you know, back a couple years before I was 19. We were all dumb. Uh, and as I, as I look at there was a moment in our life where we think, we're invincible, right? We can go and do anything. I can, I can go out and party as long as I want, or I can go and chase all these women as I want, or I can go and do this or go and do that. And ultimately, what happens is it, it catches up with us. We can't do everything. We don't, and it's because we, whenever we're 19, and again, I, not all of us were bad when we're 19, but when we're 19, God called me the ministry when I was 19. It was because I was like trying to run away from him, right? Man, he just got me. He got me and just wore me out. But it's because our perspective is under the sun. All we see is what is right in front of us. He wraps up through chapter, uh, chapter 8. He says, listen, everybody's going to die. Doesn't matter how handsome you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, we're all going to die. Chapter 8, he's basically his, his, his phrase is, uh, fear the Lord. Just fear the Lord. Keep his commands because ultimately we are under the sun and he is not. That's his, that's his point. Man, he's driving it home. So here's where this sermon now, he says, listen, I, I, my introduction is we're going to talk a lot about death. Here we go. This is, we're going to talk a lot about being under the sun because under the sun means in our time, in our space, which means we have a time, which means we have an expiration date, right? Uh, we have a time. We, we're no longer here anymore. He says, I searched out this in life. I searched out this in life. I searched out this in life. I found that these three things left me wanting every time. I found out these things in this, in this life were just not enough. And then he says, and, and here's what I've learned from that. I've learned that, that ultimately, if you want any type of wisdom, it has to come from something outside of the time that we live in. It has to come some, from something outside of the space in which we inhabit. You know, the thing I love about this book, uh, not just Ecclesiastes, but the whole thing cover to cover, the Bible cover to cover, is a timeless book. It's full of timeless wisdom. If you want to know something that's not under the sun, it's this book. Because this book was written by a man who is, uh, by a God who in heaven has ultimate everything. This book was written from the author who is not living under the sun. He's, he's living outside of that. He's, he created the sun that we live under. That's, that's Solomon's wrapping up uh, chapters. He, so he gives this moment in chapter 8 where he's like, fear the Lord because he's the one that's the right one. Then chapters 9 and 10, he talks a lot more about death. And he just, he's really, he's really wanting to make sure we understand death's coming for everybody. Doesn't matter um, who you are, what you are, what you're doing. Um, and he, he also kind of encourages the thought process that wisdom is quiet and folly is loud. You ever, you ever, you ever realize that if somebody is yelling at you, they're probably not trying to give you wise advice, Right? They're just not. If someone is fussing at you and yelling at you and they're raising their voice at you, it's probably not wise what they're telling you to do. It's probably not. Now, if someone comes to you peacefully and says words that are trying to encourage and build you up, that's wisdom, right? So he says, he says don't be fooled just because somebody is a real eloquent guy who's real loud and, and charismatic and fun. That doesn't mean it's wisdom. He says there's a lot of people in the world that can trick you, that can fool you. Um, and he says, while you're here, remember, you have no control over what happens to you. You only have control of how you respond to those things. In chapter 10, he says, I love down to verse number 20. I'm going to read chapter 10, verse 20. Even in your thoughts, because this is where he's, he's talking about, things are going to happen to you in life. You're going to be mad about things. You're going to be frustrated about things. I love chapter 10, verse 20, because it says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. You know what he's saying? He's saying, um, if you are the kind of person that in, in, in a place where you're thinking, I mean, how is it that, that can tell what you're thinking? How, how is that that happens? Because what you're thinking, I read a book that's a secular book, it's forever years old, I think it's written in the 50s, um, talking about thinking and things will happen because of your thoughts. Not because you're thinking it into existence, but because your thoughts, if that's what you're thinking about, whenever you are alone, whenever you are in your, in your home, when you're in your bedroom, when you're, in your, when you're at places where you can be alone with your thoughts, 
and you're talking about it with your spouse, and this is the way of your, the pattern of your mind and your, and, your, uh, and your mouth and your speech, whenever nobody sees you, guess what? That pattern begins to direct your steps. And then you're going to talk, you're going to think cursing thoughts of the king, and eventually you'll act out the cursing thoughts of the king. Maybe in subtle ways, but what will happen is you'll, you'll slip up and say it to the wrong person, the king's best friend, and then the king's best friend's like, hey, did you know that so-and-so doesn't like you? And he's like, wait, what? Now, that person didn't realize that they were even thinking, they didn't realize they were saying anything, because when it becomes a part of your natural thought, it becomes a part of what happens. Solomon is saying, listen, in this world, you better be careful even how you respond in it. Yeah, you may disagree with the king. I may disagree with the president. I've, I've disagreed with every president in office at some point. You know what I'm saying? I've disagreed with some. Now, I have a choice. Do I think negatively about them? And do I process and think, how can we get that? What do I need to do to, to get that person out of office, right? Like, I've got to get him out of office. But like, the, like the office is going to solve my problems. I mean, let's really think about this. Yes, there are certain things in my, in my personal life that are dealt with through that. But ultimately, like... If you begin to think, I don't like this person, I don't like this person, I don't like this person. Well, guess what? Your closest friends are going to know something. They're going to know you don't like that person. Even if you don't say it, the way you act, the way you think, the way you will, will guide your steps and your directions. Just because this person did something you didn't like doesn't mean you need to go into your own thoughts or into your own bedroom and start cursing it. You don't need to do it. Because if you do, it will begin to be a part of who you are. Solomon's saying, listen, stuff's going to happen in life. I've seen it. You'll, get, you'll lose a job. What do you do? Do you go curse that employer? Well, if you go to curse that employer, you're going to have more problems than you had solutions. That's just what's going to happen. And, and you're going to have more issues because you don't know that person may be connected to your new employer. <laughs> and then you're going to have other issues, right? Because if you've talked bad about this one, this one over here is saying, well, I'm not going to hire you. You're going to talk bad about me too. Like Solomon's saying, be wise. It's how you respond in this world. It's literally what, what Charles's sermon was Sunday. Like it's all about our mindset, our attitude, how we are. Things may happen to us in life. We can choose joy. We can. Now you say, well, this, this Anthony, but this tragedy happened. Okay, we've all had tragedies happen. So how do we respond to that? Well, we mourn for a time. But then we don't forget that we're supposed to dance for a time. We're supposed to laugh for a time. We're supposed to cry for a time. We're supposed to do those things under the sun. We know, we know that's okay to do, but we also need to know how we respond is, because a lot of times, here's what will happen. People lose somebody. People will, be, will have a tragedy, right? I said you can't lose people that are believers because you, you just have to wait on them, or they are waiting on you, I guess. Uh, but they, we, people blame God. God, why'd you do this to me? How dare you do this to me? And we curse God. Well, if you curse God, guess what? That's not going to work out for you. I promise it's not. Now, God's gracious, and He's loving, and He understands you're hurting. He does. But I do know this. When I read the, the, the words of, of Solomon at the end of his life, I realize that he is, he is telling us, under the sun, it doesn't make sense. But the one who created the sun will make sense of it all to us. And, and even if he doesn't make sense to us for it, even if, even if we, because some people think, well, I'll get to heaven, I'll have all the answers. I don't, it doesn't matter. When you get to heaven, you see Jesus. The answers don't matter to your questions that were under the sun. Why? Because we're not existing under the sun anymore. You know, I, I got a list. Listen, I keep a journal of like list of questions to God. I do this. Now, it's, I don't do it every day, but I, every now and then if I'm like, I'm going to ask God a question. I write it down. And then later I laugh at the, what I wrote. Why? Because it's dumb. Because it's, it's in the perspective of being under the sun. And that's what Solomon was saying. Under the sun, it doesn't make any sense. As he begins to land the plane in chapters 11 and 12, Here's what he does. Chapter 11, he says this, God has put you somewhere. Where doesn't matter. You're here. You are here. You, did not, you didn't choose where you were going to be born. You didn't choose the family you were going to be born into. You didn't choose the, 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 the country that you were born in. You, didn't, you, you chose very little about where you are in life. Very little. That all happened. I didn't choose my parents. You know, and, and some people, I told somebody, well, I took a sociology class in college, and this lady, this lady, uh, she was, uh, had a very thick accent, but she kept using this phrase, you didn't choose your parents, your parents chose you. She said it every day, every day, and I thought, that is weird. Come to find out, she was a believer, and she talked about uh, the book of Ecclesiastes a lot, and I, I, I came to realize something. If we could choose our parents, I, and somebody sitting next to me in the class at one point, they were like, well, what, is your, what do your parents do? We all talked about our parents because this lady kept saying every day, you didn't choose your parents, your parents chose you. 
And I said, well, my dad's a preacher. And this person said, wow, I bet you wouldn't have chose that. <laughs> I was like, you're actually right. I would not have. I would rather have a, a really, you know, a doctor. That would have been great, right? Or somebody that was very well, a professional athlete. That's who I would have chosen as my parent. <laughs> and so I just thought, how many times do we think, man, I wish my mom and dad didn't do this. I wish my, this didn't do I wish this didn't do I wish this. You didn't choose any of that, right? We didn't choose it. Solomon says, you didn't choose the life that you were born into. You do choose what you do with the life that you have. And so chapter 11 is this beautiful, beautiful work of art that he says, now whatever you do, do it so that you can be a person that makes everybody else's life better. We're all under the sun together, every one of us. Every person you will meet in this world, is they are, they are related to you in the fact that we are all living under the sun. And guess what? It doesn't make sense to any of us. We just can't, if we, if we don't put God in it, then it doesn't make sense, right? It just doesn't make sense. So Solomon is saying, whatever you do, give to people, love people, take care of people. There was a really great phrase by a Jewish statesman named Benjamin Disrael, uh, and he says, youth is a blunder, manhood is a struggle, is a struggle, and old age is a regret. That's what he said. And that's where, as Solomon is, is wrapping this up, he's saying, because he, in chapter number 12, here's what he says as he lands this plane, and it is absolutely awesome for every one of us. Here's how he lands the plane. He says, remember your creator in your youth. It says says, the verse 1 of chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He says, as, he, as he's wrapping it up, he says, do not forget your creator. Whenever you are young, as early as you can put the creator and his perspective in your heart and in your mind, as early as you can do it, do it. Why? And he tells why. He explains why in a few verses in this. He says, fear him and keep his commandments. So he says in verse number uh, 13, he says, fear him. This has all been heard. Fear him, keep his commandments. The whole, that, this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments. It's although, it's almost as though Chapter 12, the wrapping up of this sermon, takes our perspective from under the sun and raises it above it. Raises it above our plane of understanding. And he points, and he says it this way in this chapter. When, they, when he says, put the Creator in your heart and in your mind as early as you possibly can, because days are coming where you're going to be set in your ways. Days are coming where your body's going to fail. Days are coming when you're going to experience tragedy. Days are coming when you're going to have to experience things that just don't make sense. So have the Creator in you early so that you can have the perspective whenever you get to my age, whenever you get to this point in life where it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's almost like he says, we have this life, and if you don't know the author of this life, you don't understand this life. You, you can't understand it without, the, without the, the, the interpretation of the author. God is the author of life. He's the one who gave life. So get to know him. Get to know him early. The creator, the author of life, know him as early as possible because there's a day coming when your back's going to hurt and you're going to get out of bed in a bad mood and you're going to say, this doesn't make any sense. I didn't do anything yesterday. I did the same thing yesterday I did the day before. I was telling some people just the other day, I've got, I've got I'm wearing this bandage thing on my shoulder. You see this right here? I didn't have to wear this when I was 25. I didn't. You know what happened the other day? I turned my shoulder the wrong way. That's all that happened. I did nothing else. I don't even know what happened. I thought, I've broken my arm. I have broken my arm. My shoulder is out of, you know, it like, felt like it was hanging down to my knees. I thought, what has happened to my shoulder? And I, I Google it, and I'm pretty sure that I died Tuesday. I'm pretty sure I did, or Monday, actually. I'm pretty sure something bad happened to me. And I, I thought, why am I having to use this? Why am I? Because my body's breaking down. And I'm a young guy, I think. I feel like, I want to feel like, but there are days where I don't, right? It's going to get worse is what the Bible's telling me. That's what the Bible's telling me. And all of you, right, nodding your head. Everybody that's over 40 in the room is like, yeah, it's going to get worse, you know? We got, we got a couple people that are, are younger, and I just think, how, this is, it's going to get worse. And Solomon is saying this, have the author in your life early, because when it gets worse and you get in a bad mood, and if your perspective drops under the sun, then what you're going to see is problems, and you're going to try to make sense of it, and it won't make sense. And here's, here's I'll wrap it up this way. I, lo I love how Solomon wrapped that up, how he, he, he brings it all back together with this beautiful piece of, like, knowing the, the Creator early. 
Get him in there early. Listen, you're going to have more problems. You're going to have more issues. Be sure you have the right perspective. And here's what I like to do. The Bible as a whole all connects, right? This whole book, from cover to cover, it connects. Not just by the binding, but by the words. And here's what I want to connect it with today as we leave. I want to connect it with this. What Solomon was saying is, death is coming and we should fear it. Death is coming. It's gonna, it takes all of us. doesn't matter what happened in his life. Death is coming. And then I look over into the book of Philippians. And you know what Paul says? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Dying would be so much greater because I will be with him. Who? The creator. The author of life. I get to be with him. If I can die to this under the sun life, it would be far greater to be with him. Solomon didn't have that part yet. He didn't have that peace yet. He, he, was, he just talked about what he saw under the sun. And his words are inspiring towards the end. Like, listen, I'm old. Everything hurts. I'm broke. I'm, I, have, I have all this stuff, but I'm broke. I have all these women, but I'm lonely. I have all this stuff, but I've got nothing. I'm just... I'm, remember, don't forget the Creator. Put Him in there early. When it, don't, don't, let your, don't let that web that you've attached to the, to the one up above... Don't clip that piece. Just don't clip that piece. Just don't clip that piece. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great book of Ecclesiastes. Lord, to teach us that everything under the sun is vanity. It's difficult. It's hard. It's, it's empty. If we are looking at life through the life here, it is empty. But if we look at life with the Creator's perspective, everything is different. Thank you for giving us the New Testament. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for showing us and telling us that we can know the author of life. I give you praise today because you are the only one worthy of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.